LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Me Anything. I want to let you know that we originally planned to release these two podcasts as two separate podcasts, one uh, a week after the other. One was kind of diving into understanding critical race theory, and then the second one about how to have conversations about it. And as Pastor JD and I recorded and thought about it, we really felt like instead of waiting a week to release one, we just felt like they really kind of belonged together and were really two parts of the same conversation. And so we're actually just releasing two podcasts on the same week together. And so we would definitely encourage you to listen to both of them back to back because they really are two sides of the same coin. And the second one is an extension of the first one. So just wanted to let you guys know before we hopped in. Honest questions, quick answers. JD, we're definitely going to lean into the honest questions part of this one today. The quick answers, I don't know. Unless you've been living in, under a rock somewhere in, in uh, the Christian world, you know that the conversation around CRT is uh, raging. It's yes. raging out there. If so, if you don't know what we're talking about, pause, search my name on Twitter, and just <laughs> look at the, the comments. Um, and so CRT stands for critical race theory. Um, and JD, the question we have today, I think, is a good one. What should Christians know about critical race theory. Yeah, so part of the problem, Matt, is that when people say critical race theory, they mean different things by it, functionally speaking. Um, for many, it's you know an academic term, and it goes back to, uh, you'll hear names like the Frankfurt School in Germany, uh, French philosophers like uh, Jacques Derrida, Michel Foucault, um, and it comes out of this assumption. It's a nature, it's, it's a way of analyzing power in the world. It comes from uh, the assumption of an evolving universe with no God, where man's not made in the image of God. There's no higher moral law. There's no telos of history that God is working out. But man is the result of entirely material factors or cultural, environmental factors. And so it explains man entirely through those lens. And that's why it connects to people like Karl Marx and Engels and, and Hegel and those guys. Um, like I said, it deals with the nature of power and how those in power in pursuit of the survival of the fittest, seek to stay in power by by using certain characteristics to their advantage. And they explain that that's been true in the case of race, that a lot of times these race discussions are really ways for certain groups to either grasp power or maintain power. Um, and so it looks at you know the lens of what's happened in America through, through, through that lens. Um, so that's kind of it in an academic sense. But for many people, um, critical race theory, critical race theorists, people that have been influenced by critical race theory have made a bunch of observations that they just hadn't heard anywhere before. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this as we were preparing for to do this. I mean, there's just been a lot more books coming out recently, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Ibram Kendi, um, White Fragility, that are kind of geared towards a little bit, they're not like this super high level academic right. book, but they're kind of using some of these ideas to make some observations about what's going on in our country. And you, you've read some of those books, yeah, right? Yep. Yeah, as have I. And some of the stuff that you read, really you're, like, helpful. you're like, actually, I've, I've never looked at it that way exactly. before. Um, I, I jotted down, Matt, just a few of them with the help of a, a friend of mine. And the, um, the mod here's an example. The modern concept of race is socially constructed 
to create a racial hierarchy that promotes white dominance. And historically, you can look a little bit that there's aspects of that that are certainly true. Um, throughout American history, um, it's pointed out that racism has not just been manifested in individual acts of racial animus, but um, when we're dealing with things like chattel slavery or black codes or Jim Crow or redlining, racism actually got codified into law and embedded into 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 society so that discriminatory damage was actually built into these systems. Mm -hmm. And that means that when somebody ceases to be a racist, well, you still got the system that can be perpetuating that type of racism. Um, it points out that racism can be subtly concealed beneath outward claims of colorblindness and in policies like poll taxes or grandfather clauses or some people point out the difference in punishments that's given to crack versus cocaine, one being more associated with the black community and one being more associated with the, the white. Um, it points out that certain certain groups like black women can face what they call intersectional discrimination because they're a part of two groups that are not in the positions of yeah. power, both, you know, minority in, in, in color and also minority in gender um, points out that majority culture. Oh, by the way, on that one, it just means that a lot of times there's very subtle ways that they face a, a a more uphill battle when it comes to upward mobility. Yeah, exactly. uh, I mean, we all heard kind of the famous studies of of how employers will not will will much more often call back somebody that looks like a the, the name of a white male yep. than they will someone that's a black female. They, I mean, they've even changed names. They've done studies where they'll change the name on a resume and rate how people respond to it if it's right. male name or female name. It's just people. There's different responses. Yeah, and those, those are things. legitimate observations. Yep. And and critical race theory has at least critical race theorists have at least popularized though. Um, here's another one. Um, majority culture often gets taken for granted as normal. Um, and it puts pressure on people from other cultures to say, well, you know, it, it, your culture is cute and everything, and that's exotic, but really this is the way business is done, and this is how we do it. Uh, Brian Loretz, one of our pastors here, he points out that if you ask a room full of seminary students to, to, to give some characteristics of black preaching, man, they'll just start rattling off, you know, this and that. And he says, ask the same group to give me characteristics of white preaching. And everybody just sort of sits there because white preaching. What is white preaching? That's just, yeah. that's just preaching. You know, that's normal preaching. Yeah. And and so you like use that as a metaphor. It's kind of like whether it's how you dress or how you think about community and family. It's just it normalizes certain things that are not necessarily you know biblical in themselves. Um, it show it you know critical race theory points out that people of color often had have firsthand experiential knowledge of racism in a way that white people just can't. I mean, it's not saying you can't propositionally understand it, but it, we all know it's different when you're on the receiving end of it. Yeah. And then, you know, here's one more court decisions and policies that appear progressive can sometimes subtly promote white interest, even when on the surface, they look like they're, they're colorblind. They're, they're actually not. Um, those are observations. And by the way, uh, a, a lot of those come from my friend, um, Neil Shinvey, uh, who is known as a very, very critical person of critical race theory. But he, you know, he, he points out that those eight things are things that critical race theorists have have made, if not discovered, at least popularized in our culture. Yeah. And so, in 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 identifying power dynamics at play in society and illuminating how majority culture, you know, has has normalized itself. Um, you can say that there's some helpful observations there. I've heard some of my friends of color say that some of these critical race theorists or people influenced by critical race theory, you know, Robin DiAngelo and Kendi and Coates and those guys, uh, people like that, they'll say that um, they were they articulated some things that they, my friends, recognized were at work in society, but just didn't really had never had never known exactly how to articulate. And so, when when a lot of Christians see critical race theorists making these claims. 
they they assume like, wow, this is a real servant of the gospel, mm. and it's it's helpful in creating a more just society, and that's why I think a lot of people are attracted to it. Okay, so that that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a helpful kind of unpacking. We wouldn't be asking this question if everybody was just like, yeah, totally. This sounds great. So so where's the conflict come in? What's the issue that that, that makes this such kind of a hot button topic? Yeah, well, great follow up. Because critical race theory arises from a framework that doesn't start with or even recognize the image of God in man and doesn't put any weight there on that or God's truth or even God's purpose in the in the universe. And it puts all the emphasis on the structural shaping forces of man. It assumes that all the problems that we face are created by structure, and thus all the solutions are also going to come from structure. It even sees truth as, as, as power grabs, since without an understanding of God in the world, there's no absolute truth to measure things by, and therefore even concepts like justice have ultimately been formed by the majority to help the majority. Um, this is why it gets associated with Marxism a lot is because that's what Marxists always say is that is that Western concepts of justice are done to keep the powerful in power and that that you've got to look suspiciously and cynically at anything of justice because there's there's obviously a power grab in it. As a result of that, the claims that we went through above, which, you know, we kind of were like, yeah, a lot of those are true. Those aren't offered as hypotheses that we should test. Is this happening? Hmm. Um, instead, they're just assumptions that. That, that follow from the ideological framework, and therefore you just have to accept them. Because, they, in other words, this is not something we're, we're looking for. It's just this is the nature of how things are because this is how the world works because it's yeah. you know, just in the, without God and without the image of God and man. The question is not if there is injustice in the world to be discovered by measuring that against God's justice. The assumption is just that there is. And I'll give you a few examples on this. Critical race theorists don't merely say that racial progress sometimes promotes white self-interest. They just say that racial progress always does promote white self-interest. A very popular African-American Christian uh, leader and thinker, one of his famous statements is, racism never goes away, it just changes forms. And the assumption is that, that essentially the group in power, white people are still doing what they were trying to do 150 years ago, now, we, that's a legitimate question to ask. Have I just, you know, kind of, but if you just assume that's true without, because it comes out of your worldview, that leads, that's the death of Christian unity. And it's a cynicism that goes against, cuts against the grain of how the Bible teaches us to see one another and to think of one another. Um, you know, a lot of critical race theorists, they don't believe that laws sometimes are interpreted to preserve the racial status quo. They think the function of the law is to preserve the status quo. You know, they would say that that concepts like meritocracy and objectivity, those aren't things that sometimes get perverted to serve the the status quo. They would say those very concepts are, you know, they're just impossible to separate. You know, because they locate the origins of racial problems in the structures of society and not in the fallen human heart, you're going to find that all their salvation involves the adoption of particular political solutions. They're also going to say black people can't be guilty of racism because they're not in the structure of of power. Probably the most problematic thing here is that critical race theory interprets resistance to its assumptions as evidence of a commitment to racism and a a desire to retain power and and privilege. So that's where it becomes really, it leads to a lot of it kills a lot of conversations because it starts in the wrong place and therefore it, it misdiagnoses and ends in the wrong place. Yeah, so I think as I'm hearing you talk, it sounds like there are some observations made by critical race theorists that can be really helpful and that right. you and I, like we were talking about, have read and learned from. But there are the core tenets that led to those observations can be 
very unhelpful, especially for in the context of the church. Is yeah, that- absolutely. I mean, he, here's the way I would say it in in short. The basic ideological approach of critical race theory is incompatible with the Christian worldview. It's you know, the ideological framework. That doesn't mean that it can't make some helpful observations. All truth is God's truth. And honestly, this wouldn't be the first time we in the, the church have learned helpful things from people on the outside. The mystery of how God does things in the in the world. Um, as Christians, we want to engage legitimate issues of injustice, regardless of who who first identified them. But here's the thing: what we're saying is that you don't have to affirm critical race theory to affirm those insights, and you should affirm the insights. And then also, we're also saying that those insights are not exclusive to critical race theory. You know, people, you know, through the lens of the gospel, ought to be able to see many of the same things. We do, and I'll just admit this, we do, you know, we as Christians, we subject everything in the world under the lens of scripture, and when something, you know, is 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 made outside of, you know, something not through the lens of scripture, we always look at it I'd say a little cynically and say, all right, what's what's really at work here? But it, it just means that we can have a position of humility and learning and listening, even when we're saying, I, I don't accept the framework, and I realize that's going to cause it to misdiagnose a lot of things. It's going to cause it to put some terms there that that aren't helpful, and then also to propose solutions that ultimately will be worse than the problem. The medication is worse than the than the the disease. Um, there's some great stuff out there. I've been reading recently, um, Matt. I, I know you have also, but Dr. Carl Truman, who, by the way, is not an American, and he's certainly not known as a culture warrior, but he wrote a really helpful article um, here recently in First Things uh, called. You remember the name of that article? Evangelicals. Evangelicals and race theory. Yeah, evangelicals and race theory is very helpful, short to the point. Really helps you get your mind around it. More recently, almost finished with a book. Uh, by a guy named Thaddeus Williams, I'm a professor. The same book, actually, yeah, about, yep. Biola, yeah, it's fantastic so far. Uh, it's not the only book you would read on on these questions, but it certainly is raises some really good questions. But um, it's called "Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth." Uh, the forward is by John Perkins, mm-hmm. the the African American civil rights legend and hero. Um, he commends it commends it heartily. But those will help you sort of get your mind around some of the factors that are at work and how you can can reject the worldview even as you appreciate certain um, questions of justice that get raised that, that Christians ought to care about. Before you read a book by like Kendi or Robin DiAngelo or Ta-Nehisi Coates, I would say read this Thaddeus Williams book because, you know, while, while you and I said, Matt, that there are some helpful observations in a book like Robin DiAngelo's, there's a lot of stuff that just comes in kind of under the surface you don't realize that is really coming out of a, a wrong ideological framework. And like we said, the medication ends up being worse than the disease. And so you got to be able to read these with a discerning mind. And I, I'm certainly not trying to insult our, our listeners, but I think a work like Thaddeus Williams that helps you get your mind around biblical categories for justice will actually help you discern the you know any parts that are helpful and then the parts that are massively harmful in a book like D'Angelo's, for example. And I even think about other other books that'd be good places to start that are about maybe justice and race issues from a biblical worldview that maybe don't touch on critical race theory mm-hmm. as much, but are just helpful in forming that. So think about we read One Blood as a staff. Oh yeah, yep. Um, Dr. John Perkins, and we also and uh, also have read Oneness Embraced. Oh, by Tony, Tony Evans. Evans, that was great, yep. great book. And I think those are other ways of. And George Yancey's um, Beyond Racial Gridlock is one of the one of the seminal books for me that was so great. Some other people that really helped me with this. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a great article on critical race theory. John Piper's has some great stuff on it. Neil Shinvey, member of our church here. Actually, a lot of the things I've been talking about today are come from discussions 
some correspondence with him. Our own Brian Loritz here has helped me learn to think through some of these things, and we have a lot of good dialogue. So there's some good stuff out there, and I encourage you to, to press into it. Well, I think this is this will lead into we're going to actually talk on the next episode a little bit about how to have some of these conversations because I do think even as you're you're speaking, I feel like that's what I've noticed at least is yep. missing from the conversations is it feels like there's a just a tendency to want to take an all or nothing position yep. on everything. One of the issues here is that a lot of us talk about this in more of an academic sense when for a lot of African Americans they'll say, this is lived experience for me. And they're coming at it from a different place. And so we don't want to reduce this to, you know, I love how somebody says it. We don't, this doesn't become a weapon that we use to swat down somebody's concerns. It ought to be characterized by, yes, I want to think biblically. I want to think, you know, through the lens of scripture, but I also want to be first sensitive to where you are experiencing um, injustice, where you're experiencing discrimination or, or uh, people putting shame on you or that kind of thing. So I think that's really good. Yeah. I mean, are we, are we having, it's like, are you having a conversation about the intellectual framework or are you having a conversation about the observations and how someone's experienced some of these things? Right. It, it, yeah. You, you may think the same, but it'll change the posture yeah. and a lot of the tone that you engage in it with. Well, JD, thanks so much for diving into a complicated uh, topic. I think, unfortunately, there's probably a lot of people that have already decided what they think, but I really do hope that everybody that listens to this engages and says... And there's another group of people that are sitting there now in the car staring at the radio going, what in the world? (laughs) I've never heard of this. (laughs) Exactly. But I hope this is helpful for everyone. And and like we said, we're going to follow up and talk a little bit more about this next time on the podcast as well. If you want to hear any more from Pastor JD, you can follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or if you just have some nice comments for him based on this podcast, feel free to hop in the comments on Twitter. And if these uh, 10 minutes or so are just are not enough of what you want from Pastor JD, make sure you tune into Summit Life on the Summit Life broadcast. It's a daily 25-minute program with Pastor JD where he shares biblical truths in a longer format that inspires listeners to have daily encounters with Jesus and his transformative grace. It airs on hundreds of radio stations all over the country, but is also a podcast, so you can download it on the same platform that you're using right now, or you can find it at jdgreer.com. And we'll see you next week on Ask Me Anything.